0: Craft beer lovers and brewers like you and me are looking forward to safely enjoying a beer together in taprooms across the nation and the world. Know what else we can look forward to this year? BreweryDB, the industry's only professionally-curated source of brewery and beer information, is unveiling an all-new platform for brewers and fans of craft to find the ultimate brewery experience. BreweryDB is the most complete database of breweries and beers available. More than a million craft beer lovers visited breweries in 2019 after searching for and planning their visits at brewerydb.com. Breweries can get in front of craft beer lovers looking for a cold one by going to marketmybrewery.com and creating a profile. Craft beer lovers can follow BreweryDB on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn to get the latest updates on the new platform scheduled to launch early this year. The best part, it's all free. Good Beer Matters shares the stories of craft and culture found in every glass. And I'm excited to announce that the Good Beer Matters podcast and Brewery DB are collaborating this year to help you get to the bottom of it. Visit us at goodbeermatters.net and brewerydb.com to finally have the experience you've been missing. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters.
1: You've got a dazzling array of of options for what can be chocolate. But it feels more akin to beer and where you have this very broad range of experimentation. Chocolate and beer deserve our attention and they deserve our uh, holistic attention if we're really going to get the most out of them.
0: In a world of fusions, collaborations, and collisions of flavor, few are as exciting as that of beer and chocolate. My next guest made a name for himself in the world of beer as a writer and educator, but one day he discovered bean-to-bar chocolate, and now takes us on a journey as he explores both. I've studied, traveled, and tasted my way through some of the best beer the world has to offer. Over the past few years, I've also spoken to beer industry leaders from around the globe, and one thing is certain, the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. There is a story of craft and culture found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 68 of Good Beer Matters with certified Cicerone writer, educator, and now podcaster, David Nilsen. to the podcast for a second time Um, last time you were on we talked about uh, writing we talked about Cicerone we talked about a whole bunch of beer nerdery this time we have a completely different thing that we're going to talk about Um, since we spoke last you've become uh, kind of an educator and a connoisseur not only of beer uh, but of chocolate as well so I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about both of these things together thank you for coming back on the podcast
1: Yeah, thanks for having me back, Jeremy. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Uh, just a um, just a quick reminder to uh, anyone who has, hasn't listened to your previous episode, um, let's just do a quick little reminder. David Nielsen, you're, um, you are a certified Cicerone. Uh, you've uh, also taken the uh, advanced written test, but because of COVID, um, we're now in a holding pattern until we can do the tasting. Um, but you're a writer, you're an educator, and you have a new podcast called Bean to Barstool about... Uh, uh, the, the world of uh, beer and chocolate coming together have
1: I missed anything no I think that covers it yeah I've got my uh, David Nilson beer website for my normal beer writing stuff and then just launched Bean to Barstool uh, first episode went up in August awesome um, and I have listened to that
0: podcast uh I, I don't, you know, I don't know if I've gotten through every episode yet, but I've uh, I've definitely cherry-picked. And um, just the way that you put that together, it, it's informative, it's exploratory, and dare I say, a bit on the poetic side. Um, you know, being a podcaster myself, I, I can just tell listening that you put a lot of work into that thing. So um, hopefully people will go and listen to your uh, Bean to uh, uh, Bean to Barstool podcast as well, but um, uh, before we dive into that, um, so we, we know about your background in beer. I mean, you're, you're on your way to becoming an advanced Cicerone. Um, but this whole chocolate thing is is kind of is new to me, and I know next to nothing about chocolate. What is your background in chocolate?
1: Sure. Well, like most uh, people, you know, I've always enjoyed chocolate as just a treat. It was part of childhood and had that nostalgia to it. Um, About three or four years ago, I started to get more interested in chocolate just purely as something ancillary to beer. I had someone who wanted to do a chocolate and beer pairing. and I figured, well, I know beer and I know flavor pairing, so let me pick up a little bit of of knowledge here around chocolate and I'll put together this pairing. Uh, When I did that and it was was fine, uh, but I quickly realized that there was a whole lot more knowledge to chocolate that um, that deserved my respect and my time if I was going to actually be doing any sort of events or anything like that with it. So uh, there was a, a woman who runs a um, anti-slavery shop in Dayton, Ohio, who sells all um, goods from around the world that are 100% slavery free. Uh, and a large part of that is chocolate, because one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that there is a major uh, labor and ethics problem within large scale chocolate production. Somewhere around 70% of the world's chocolate has child slavery or slave labor somewhere in its supply chain. Oh my gosh, um, I have no idea. And so, yeah, bean-to-bar chocolate, one of the major things behind the movement for small batch independent chocolate production is not just quality and really, really good flavor, because you know the other part of the issue with mass-produced chocolate is much like mass-produced beer it's homogenized and um you know tastes good but there's not a whole lot of variety and nuance there so while bean bar chocolate is focused on flavor and quality the significant part of it is removing those labor abuses from the supply chain uh, and making sure that a producer can trace the source of their cacao all the way back to the farm and confirm that every step along the way, there have been no labor abuses that have taken place. Uh, it's one of the reasons that craft chocolate is so much substantially more expensive than what you can buy uh, in the checkout pile at the grocery store. You can pay 75 cents for a Hershey's bar and you might pay more than $10 for a Bean to Bar <coughs> chocolate bar. Uh, that's not just Premiumization. That's not just oh, we we make it small batch, so you should pay us ten times as much. It's chocolate should cost that much. <laughs> it, the reason it doesn't cost that much in most of your supermarket chocolates is because they are taking unethical shortcuts in their supply chain and the, the labor uh, that goes into the production and harvesting um, and processing of cacao for chocolate production. So uh, London Co runs a uh, shop here in Dayton, Ohio, called Peace on Fifth. And in addition to a variety of other goods, she sells a lot of bean-to-bar chocolate. Um, and I went into her shop um, just to to learn a little bit from her and to buy a few chocolate bars. And one of the amazing things about London is that you cannot spend less than forty-five minutes in her shop because she will open chocolate bars and give you uh, you know free samples and walk you through a tasting. And she's got this magnetic and and charismatic. Uh, personality uh, and passion behind her love for chocolate um, and and the tasting process. And so very, very quickly that um, became sort of contagious to me. And I recognized that chocolate was just as rich of a world as craft beer was. Um, so I started, I, I read a book by an author named Megan Giller. She wrote a book a few years ago called Bean to Bar Chocolate that is sort of the the Bible for Uh, for craft chocolate right now. And as I was reading that book, I was recognizing all these corollaries over to the craft beer world, both in terms of uh, production and flavor and the way that um, uh, ingredients were used, but also in just the cultures. Um, Craft chocolate is very much like craft beer was a couple decades ago, where it's this new, fresh, very small world Uh, And there was just a lot of crossover there that I recognized. And so from there, it's just been a gradual growth in both knowledge and and passion along the way. I still know way, way more about beer than I do about chocolate. And um, I definitely would not ever consider myself a chocolate expert at this point. I have so much left to learn um, compared to a lot of the, the chocolate professionals out there. Um, But about a year or two ago, I recognized that chocolate could very, very easily become sort of a secondary uh, career path for me. And I began recognizing more and more the ways that chocolate and beer can come together, both in terms of collaborations uh, between breweries and chocolate makers, pairings, um, flavor commonalities, ingredient commonalities, uh, and decided that I would launch a podcast to explore
0: those well and i'm sure you will uh obtain mastery in chocolate by <laughs> by you know having the podcast and talking about it because you're going to talk to those people who are the 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 experts but um uh, my my uh encounters with really good chocolate granted like as you said everyone likes chocolate except for like two people in the world um <laughs> i you know I, we all grew up with uh, Mr. Goodbar and Hershey's and and Snickers and all these all these mass-produced the the uh, the macro American loggers of the chocolate world. Um, but when I was a kid, we had um, relatives from Switzerland come and they brought us Toblerone and I had never tasted anything like Toblerone before. Um, And granted, Mm -hmm. that was a milk chocolate, but it was a milk chocolate unlike anything else. Now you can find Toblerone almost anywhere. Um, And then we had relatives come from England, and they brought their... I forget the brand, but it was another type of milk chocolate, but it had like berries and almonds. And, and it was, a, again, a different quality, a different uh, flavor profile that um, that I, I still have a flavor memory of. And I was uh, uh, a couple years ago, we had some um, neighbors that were from England and they happened to have an extra bar and they gave it to us. And I was like, oh, my God, I remember that flavor from being 11 years old in England and tasting this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so I I I. I quickly realized that, you know, there is a rabbit hole in the chocolate world that I could follow when I'm, you know, when I'm done with this beer thing, maybe I'll dive into the chocolate world, but but here you are kind of bringing everyone down that rabbit hole with you. Um, I, I, I want to make sure we tap our foot on the base as we circle around this whole whole thing. Um, will you very, very quickly just give us a uh, brief understanding of how chocolate is made?
1: Sure. So chocolate is made from, uh, cacao, which is a tropical fruit, uh, and inside a cacao pod, you have seeds. Uh, those seeds are what end up becoming chocolate. So after the, uh, the pods are harvested, they're split open, the seeds are taken out, um, and they are allowed to undergo fermentation, uh, spontaneous fermentation for a period of time. After fermentation, they will be, uh, dried back out, uh, then they will be, um, Uh, roasted and winnowed to separate them from their husk Um, and at that point the um, cocoa will be basically ground up. There's a couple different processes it can undergo but it'll get ground up and during that grinding process the the heat and the friction and everything else will end up turning it into sort of like a syrup. It it turns into a liquid form. We call that um, uh, chocolate liquor. And then at that point depending on the type of chocolate that the chocolate maker wants to make, it might have other things added to it, like sugar or milk powder um, or things like that. It will then be tempered, which means that it gets um, melted and uh, then solidified and melted and solidified in order to create a um, uh, structure within the chocolate that will allow it to hold a shape um, and not re-separate and not um melt too easily and things like that. and then it gets molded into a bar shape and packaged and goes on from there. And is in there there are of course little you know variations in there depending on the specific thing that's going to be made, but that's sort of the the crash
0: course process. Sure. And, and kind of like brewing beer, you, you take grain and water and, and hops and boil it and add yeast. Um, and so there's anyone who wants to learn more can go back and look at that uh, book you mentioned, especially the bean-to-bar chocolate. Um, mm-hmm. But you mentioned that there are some corollaries between the beer world and the chocolate world. And, and I know you're also, um, especially with your podcast, um, you talk about um, uh, flavors. Uh, what I'm interested in hearing about uh, is... Is the corollary, and and particularly the the um, the the similar and the dissimilar vocabulary between beer and chocolate? Mm.
1: Sure. Well, one thing that's important to to keep in mind, and I think any of us can do this when we're looking at a uh, a food or drink field that we're not familiar with, is our brains tend to simplify things down to where. Uh, If you're you're not into craft coffee, or you know, like like artisan coffee, then there is one flavor in your mind that is coffee. So something tastes Mm -hmm. like coffee or it doesn't taste like coffee. Then when you get really into coffee, you realize that every single coffee has 10 different flavors in it. And there's all these different nuances and subtleties. So uh, with chocolate, a lot of people coming from the craft beer world, who, you know, they've had chocolate as a kid, they've had the same relationship to chocolate that most people have there is one flavor that is chocolate and what you quickly discover when you get into the chocolate world is that there are a thousand flavors that are chocolate. There is no one default, you know, uh, simplified least common denominator chocolate. There is cacao from all over the world that has its own terroir and different flavor characteristics to it. Um, And depending on how the chocolate maker is going to process that and what they're going to add to it, it's going to have additional layers of complexity to it. So one of the corollaries um, uh, that's very easy to establish between these two worlds is that there's no one thing that's fear and there's no one thing that's chocolate. Um, You've probably, I know you've done some education events. You've probably had somebody in a class who tastes a Munich Helles or something like that and they say it just tastes like beer mm-hmm. because that is that sort of default understanding of what beer tastes like because the first thing that everybody had was pale lagers uh, and it, you know, it, they and hadn't gone through the them, process but... of learning how
0: to unpack that and, and pull mm-hmm. those things, that experience apart, um, which, is, yeah. which is why you and I get to do what we do, but, um, but uh, chocolate is, as you're saying, very much the same way
1: Yes, absolutely. So you have, not only do you have uh, origin differences in terms of chocolate from Madagascar and chocolate from uh, you know the Solomon Islands or wherever it is around the world that has differences and variation, and that'll change year to year, much like wine will, wine grapes will, but you also have different um, categories of chocolate. You have dark chocolate that doesn't have any uh, milk powder added to it. You have milk chocolate that, that does have that milk powder in there. You have different levels of sugar that are added. You have white chocolate, which is actually chocolate. It's made with uh, cocoa butter in there. Um, you have um, uh, you know, inclusion chocolates that have all sorts of additional ingredients. So when you think about all the beers that have different fruits or different spices or, uh, or chocolate or coffee or all these different things added to them, you have inclusion chocolates that can have the entire world of flavors and ingredients added to them to complement whatever the underlying chocolate is doing. So uh, you've got a dazzling array of of options for what can be chocolate. Uh, and I think that's one thing that um, is, that's the first thing I think that people have to realize, because we all grew up with chocolate. We've all had a few chocolates as an adult. Where you know we had that one Dove dark chocolate or Ghirardelli milk chocolate or whatever. We've had those couple like premium supermarket brands, and so we've got like, all right, this is what chocolate tastes like. And then you get into it and you realize you don't know anything about chocolate. It's just like if you were starting out with beer. There's a hundred styles. There's so many different flavors that can be there, and they're all beer. There's so many different things that chocolate can be, and they're all chocolate. And and that's just
0: exciting coming from uh, a, a um, f- I'm gonna coin some terms right now please forgive me but some like uh, flavor tourists or some uh, uh, flavor poets you know it's it for you know someone like you and me who really um love to explore that world of flavor and the and the stories behind that the origin stories behind this stuff uh, and mm-hmm. it's exciting to know that if if we were to reach the the end of what beer has to offer which will never happen but if right. if, if that if that if there was if there was a true end line in the whole, hey, I've tasted every beer, I know everything about it, well, now we can go into cheese, we can go into chocolate, we can, I mean, there, there's a never-ending uh, offshoots of this rabbit hole that that we could go on. And and for me, that's just absolutely
1: exciting. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. I think that's one of the things that I love so much about it. Like, I enjoy good coffee, I enjoy good wine, I enjoy good bourbon and all those things. And so none of this is to say anything against those. But with each of those, you are enjoying what a maker has done with that particular ingredient. And uh, I'm sure any coffee person would yell at me for saying this. But when I'm tasting coffee, while there is a world of nuance in there, it's all coffee. It's all exactly what has been done with this bean. With cacao, with chocolate, uh, you have all these different categories of how that can be processed and what can be added to it and all these different inclusions and uh, all these different things. And it really does feel more akin to beer, not necessarily like it is better or more complex than something like coffee or wine, but it feels more akin to beer and where you have this very broad range of experimentation that can take place. And I think that's what made me grab onto chocolate where I enjoy coffee and I enjoy wine, but there's sort of things that sit on the side for me. When I got into chocolate, I realized that there was as rich and as varied a world as I had already enjoyed within beer. And that's what made it so exciting.
0: Well, you sound like a beer guy through and through. So, uh, I, 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 I appreciate that. Um, you know, within the BJC, uh, the BJC, you know, uh, protocols, uh, you know, that very simply, we will look at a beer and evaluate its its appearance, its aroma, its taste, its mouthfeel, um, and then kind of put all the stuff together um, uh, from a very just kind of quick generic process. Uh, can we apply that same protocol to chocolate, or is there a completely different protocol to, to tasting good bean-to-bar chocolate? Uh,
1: you mean just the tasting process, or you mean the categorization? The process of tasting it. Process, uh, I mean, there's a couple things that are different. Fundamentally, tasting is tasting. You know, like if you put in the work to become a conscious and intentional taster in any field, it probably gives you a little bit of a boost when you're approaching something else, just because you've got that mindfulness, that recognition that you've got to pay attention to all of your senses, it's not just taste. Um, how your sense of smell interacts with your sense of taste. If you understand that wherever you've come from, whether it's beer or or wine or whatever, that's gonna prepare you for tasting anything else. So just because of the format of chocolate, because it is a solid object, there's a few things that are different, Um, but fundamentally you're doing the same thing. You're applying all of your senses and just doing that in a mindful way. Uh, when you're using your sense of sight in beer, you're looking at things like clarity and uh, head and, and color and things like that. With chocolate, you're looking at shine. You're you're making sure it's not dull. You're making sure there's not um, uh, blooming, which is where the, the cocoa butter has sort of separated from the rest of the chocolate. You get that white across the surface. But you're still just paying attention with your eyes just like you are with beer. So even though the physical details are different, you're basically doing the same thing where you're walking through each of your senses and just making sure that you're paying attention in a mindful way, and so, uh, for anyone
0: listening who is not as adept or as knowledgeable about drinking uh, tasting beer or, or tasting chocolate, um you know, I, I often like to pull it back um, like the conversation you and I had beforehand, it, for me, it's that uh, answers the question, so what? I mean, we don't need we, it's not dire that we need to know. What's going on to enjoy the beer, to enjoy the chocolate? But I always pull it back to mm-hmm. that uh, whole appearance thing. Um, I, I always uh, use the analogy of going on a date. Like if I'm if I'm going to go on a, a nice date with my wife, I don't need to. Know all the details and the nuances of what she's wearing. But if she puts on that little black dress, all I need to know is take one glance and I know, wow, she looks dynamite. Um, and, and and but I don't need to look at uh, the 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 length of her skirt and the trim of her waist and the, you know whatever the fashion terms are. I don't need to know this stuff. I can just still appreciate it just by looking at it, and I can know whether, wow, that looks good or wow, that does not.
1: Sure. Yeah, so with with chocolate, um, some of it is going to tell you more about, if if we're just talking about that appearance, some of it's going to tell you more about the condition of the chocolate. Uh, The taste will definitely change over time. It may or may not get worse. Uh, It might get a little bit duller, but if you see something like that blooming, like that white that's appearing on the bar, that is probably either a bar that has been exposed to excessive heat. So you shipped it in the middle of summer and it melted on the way there and then Mm. re-solidified in your mailbox. That's happened to me. Um, or it's old, you know, it's a couple of years old and it probably still tastes fine. It doesn't go bad, but uh, it tells you that you're probably not working with a bar that's in peak condition. One thing that you're going to get from that bright glossy appearance, um, is a, an awareness of proper tempering, that the chocolate maker knew what they were doing and getting this bar into its finished form. And one of the great things about chocolate that I love that just doesn't apply with beer is the mold, which is the, the actual shape of the bar. And chocolate makers will stamp often a personalized logo or design into their chocolate bars, and they are just gorgeous. It's just like a beautiful beer label it doesn't necessarily tell you if the beer inside is going to be good, but it is something additional to appreciate and take a moment to recognize that the the brewer and the artist has tried to put you in a certain mindset before you, you know, you open it to taste the beer. Um, looking at a chocolate label and then looking at the bar itself um, is the first step in actually enjoying it. Uh, even if it's not going to tell you that the bar will taste good or not, um, assuming it is gonna taste good, it's one more step of getting to enjoy it. I get to actually enjoy this with my eyes and then I will enjoy it with my nose and my tongue and uh, you know, the rest. So um, there are a few things that a chocolate taster can learn from uh, the appearance of the bar, but even before you get to that, if you don't even wanna learn those things, there's enjoyment to be had just in recognizing the attention that has gone into making this a beautiful object that you're then going to break apart and taste.
0: Oh, and and uh, yeah, for me, I, I go back to that same analogy. Um, you're going on a date with your wife, and she's either wearing uh, sweatpants and a in an oversized sweatshirt, or she's wearing a black dress. It's still your wife. You're still going on a date, but it's going to well, be Jeremy. Two, two Jeremy, different I don't know about you, but in
1: 2020, plenty of our dates have been in sweatpants because we've been staying home. So
0: yes, I know, and Both I, of I'm us. <laughs> <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> yes, uh, and I'm looking forward to the uh, black dress dates in 2021, um, but. Uh, You know, here we'll knock on wood for that one. Um, Is the uh, when you're tasting chocolate, are you still going through the aroma, the mouth feel, the uh, I'm sorry, the taste and the mouth feel and and all that process as well? Is there a similar protocol there?
1: Yeah, functionally. I mean, again, differences of detail just because of the difference of format, but yeah, you're you're still paying paying attention to the same basic things. Um, One interesting thing that you get to do in chocolate and Honestly, once the chocolate is well made, it's it's not so much telling you something about quality as it is just sort of a, a ritual. The fun is the snap. So you uh, you hold the piece of chocolate up close to your ear and you snap it with your fingers to hear how firm and crisp that snap is. Uh, depending on the thickness of the bar, you know it'll have a slightly different sonic quality. And ostensibly, it's to tell you how well tempered the bar is. So if it's sort of a dull, flaky break apart. Maybe it's not as tempered as well, but to be perfectly honest, once you get into pretty well-made chocolate, that's not really the case. You're, it's generally going to have a, a pretty firm snap. It's more just a ritual. It's kind of a fun way to to signal to yourself that you're about to taste this. You get that little snap of the, the chocolate, but beyond that, yeah, you're, you're smelling it, although you can't generally smell it as freely as you will beer because um, while it's in a solid form, it's not those uh, aromatics are not as volatile. So you're getting more of the, um, the flavor and the smell of the beer once it's in your mouth and, and melting and you're getting that retronasal aroma, uh, much like you do when you're actually tasting a beer in your mouth. Uh, you're putting that chocolate on your tongue, you're letting it melt, taking your time with that, let it melt for 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Don't just chew it up like you might if you're snapping off a Hershey's bar or something let that melt and that'll release those aromatics you're paying attention to texture with that because there can be a wide variance in texture of different bars depending on cacao percentage or what uh, inclusions have been added to it so there can be a really wide range of how that bar will actually feel on your tongue um how quickly it melts um and then you know you're just paying attention to the same things with flavor that you do with beer you know walking through. Um, each different thing that you're tasting, what does it connect to from a memory standpoint, trying to place those things. One of the fun things with chocolate, and I do uh, explore this a little bit in the podcast, um, is that because all of us grew up with chocolate from the earliest age, whereas most of us didn't have beer until much later, presumably, uh, chocolate is inherently nostalgic and we do have direct childhood memories connected to the consumption of chocolate. I've tasted beer and had childhood memories, but it's because there's some flavor note in there that is reminding me of something else that I smelled or tasted in childhood. Whereas with chocolate, there can be times where you're directly remembering a very, like, very direct chocolate flavor that you had uh, when you were growing up. And so there's this inherent nostalgia to it. And um, you kind of have permission with that, with chocolate, to be a little bit more childlike in how you're approaching that um, that tasting process. Uh, in a way, where when I've been in settings where I'm tasting uh, beer with other people, sometimes there can be a little bit of a, a little bit of a posturing, a little bit of a, a maintaining of expert status or a maintaining of um, I, I don't even know what exactly the word, like uh, of adult experience that this is an adult indulgence that so we're going to have an adult conversation where when I'm tasting chocolate with people there is a much more free and sort of lighthearted attitude to it even if they are very talented tasters and are very, are going to recognize all the different tasting notes there's still less of a posturing less of a positioning that goes into that because this is something that that we enjoyed for the first time when we were four years old or whatever it was. You know, why would we not go ahead and indulge the uh, the emotional aspect of that?
0: Well, and it's interesting you bring that up. Um, you know, I, I certainly hope that uh, the world of beer avoids the snobbery that uh, wine was famous for, and, um, and of course, there will be pockets of that, but. Um, you know, I, I mentioned. You know, I have flavor memories of better chocolate when I was 11, and and um, and even my my gateway beer that opened up the world of beer to me way 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 back in the day. You know, was was a Newcastle beer, and the reason why I loved that Newcastle, which you can't get that anymore. It's it's owned by a bigger company, and the recipe is just different, and it's not the same. But that old Newcastle. For me, the flavor that came out made me think of if an artesian uh, bean-to-bar chocolate maker actually uh, tried their hand at making Milk Duds, you know, the chocolate, uh, the caramel covered in uh, chocolate, if, if there's mm-hmm. a really good, high-quality version of Milk Duds, that's what this Newcastle tasted like to me, and that's what opened up the world into where you and I are talking about beer and chocolate now. I've got a question for you. How are you engaging with your customers? Are you adding value or just vying for attention? If you have a business, then you are an authority and should be regarded as a partner in everyone's mutual success. But getting that message across in the first place, that's the trick. At Mountain Sea Media, I use education and storytelling to keep your brand on top of mind. So if you're done with ineffective marketing and want to create more impact, I want Mountain Sea Media to be your resource for high-value branded content. Contact me at jeremy at com to explore the possibilities. After all, it's your story. I'll help you tell it.
1: Well, and that's one thing uh, you mentioned earlier, or your experience with with chocolate in the past, and uh, I heard a little in your tone of voice where you were talking about milk chocolate that that was almost apologetic because there is this idea uh, that if you're eating good chocolate, then that means dark chocolate. That means high percentage dark chocolate. And uh, it's sort of like how if somebody is just getting into beer, you've probably, I, I don't know if this is the case out in the West because, you know, in Oregon, I don't know that there are any true. Uh, a completely true beer beginners but here in the Midwest we still have some uh, and they'll be a little apologetic about drinking a lager because they'll assume that because they're into craft beer now they need to be drinking like a, an ale that's that's a higher alcohol content or something and uh, it comes from this idea that because all that mass produced beer that they've been exposed to their entire lives is a pale low alcohol lager that Beers that are like that can't be good. The, the beers that are good have to be a total contrast to that. And with chocolate, there can be this idea that because milk chocolate is what kids eat and it's what all the, you know, the supermarket stuff is, that chocolate connoisseurs must only like dark chocolate. Well, we like dark chocolate. We also like milk chocolate. We also like white chocolate. We like inclusion chocolate. We like chocolate that has filling in it. We like bonbons. We like all this different stuff it's just like with beer it's about the quality of production the quality of ingredients um and you know the intention behind that that leads to something that tastes really good rather than the details of yes this is a milk chocolate and hershey's is a milk chocolate why am i eating this instead of eating that hershey's bar uh and so you are allowed to like all of those different things. I don't know about Milk Duds. I think that was what uh, the example you just gave, but there are tons of bean-to-bar chocolates that are pretty close in description to something that is broadly available, but they are made with incredible care and high-quality ingredients and attention to detail, and so they're, they're sort of the Cadillac version of uh, that, that nostalgic childhood uh, chocolate
0: that we've had and thank you for calling me out you're absolutely right i feel like in the world of chocolate i feel like i have discovered the uh deschutes Black Butte mm. porter uh of chocolate and the sierra nevada pale ale of chocolate um and that's as far as i've gotten i so i i am aware that there's a world out there but i've i've Merely dipped my toes, which is why you and I are talking today. Because I want to, I want to find out more about this world, and I want to take all of my listeners along with me. Because this sure. is absolutely. I'll exciting. give you
1: one quick example. I'll give you a quick example of that. So there's a, a chocolate maker in Asheville, North Carolina called French Broad Chocolates, uh, and they um, have partnered with a variety of, of breweries in Asheville. Asheville being obviously one of the, the beer capitals of of the U.S., so many great craft breweries there. They've partnered with quite a few of them to uh, make those beers that have cacao or other chocolate products in them or uh, chocolates that in some way incorporate uh, beer or beer ingredients. And one of the ones they've done um, is intended to evoke some of the flavor of malted milk balls, like Whoppers, mm. basically.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and what they did is they worked with Riverbend Malt. You're familiar with them, the, uh, the Artisan uh, maltster there in Asheville. Uh, they worked with them to get uh, malted powder, like malt powder, and then use that in a fairly low percentage milk chocolate, like 44% milk chocolate. Uh, and the flavor is just like the best malted milk ball you've ever had. It's a high-quality bean-to-bar chocolate. It's not cheap because, again, going back to the the uh, the labor abuses that chocolate is rife with. You're not just paying for premiumization; you're paying for for you know small children not harvesting your chocolate for you. Um, but it, it, the flavor is is fantastic. It's both nostalgic of the Whoppers that you'd eat when you were watching a movie as a kid, but it's like the best Whopper you ever had. And it's allowed to be that. It doesn't have to, um, abandon those nostalgic flavors just to be good chocolate. And I think that's an important thing for people to understand is that if you're getting into good chocolate, you don't just have to eat 80% dark chocolate that is bitter. And you're not sure if you actually like this that's out there and it's awesome. But there is also 44% milk chocolate, that tastes like really good whoppers and you're allowed to
0: like that too that's wonderful i love that thank you so much Let, let's i'm going to use that as a little springboard to transition to pairing beer and chocolate because um, you know since we're talking about flavors um I, I i would love to have you walk me through a uh, how you approach pairing um because i am one of those cicerones and and whatnot, where I am not in love with the uh, pairing of stout and a chocolate souffle or chocolate mousse or something, um, particularly because of the canceling effect that like flavors can have. I, I found that um, if, if you've got that chocolatey, dark coffee sweetness in both of them, um, that they can cancel each other out, and then I'm left with just that dark, roasty, uh, mm-hmm. bitter acrid flavors, and I don't love that. Um, and that is something that we all need to be cautious about when we're actually pairing something because you can have adverse effects. But, but when it comes to putting uh, chocolate and beer together, uh, I, I don't really have a very good starting point other than what I don't like.
1: Sure. So if you uh, if you go online and you find one of those uh, pairing guides that's like, what beer do you pair with a variety of foods? And it's like that super top level um, with this, you know, entire national cuisine try this one beer. And it's, it's super, super reductive. It's just trying to give you a general ballpark. If one of those includes chocolate, it will it will include chocolate just as like a, a like a single thing. And then invariably it will say porter or stout. Yeah. And the reason for that is because, you know, like you alluded to, you've got some very, very easy complementary flavors there. A porter or stout, because of the roasted malts or, or roasted grains in there is going to have some chocolatey or coffee-like flavors that are directly complementary to that sort of default chocolate flavor that we all have in our minds. And that can work. It's a fine, like, fail-safe, but it's just kind of lazy.
0: It it doesn't
1: go any beyond, like, the entry level of how you put these two things together. And so there are Porter and Stout pairings that I recommend, but it's with very specific beers and very specific chocolates where there is something unique happening there. Um, Because beyond that, it's just kind of lazy to say Porter or Stout and then throw that across the entire variety of chocolates that are out there. Um, so when you're pairing, uh, there, are, there are sort of layers in which you can take this. You know, you can get super, super granular and say this one particular bar with this one particular beer and the, here are the specific ingredients that are in those and the, the flavor profiles and this is exactly what it's going to come out like at the end. And that is really, really fun. But if somebody doesn't have availability to that particular beer, it's more just sort of an intellectual exercise for them to look at that. And so you've got to pull back a little bit, a layer, and look at sort of broad categories. Um, And if you want, you know, we can talk about some of those, um, or we can just talk about the sort of the process of tasting these things together. Which, which direction do you want to go
0: there? Well, let, let's just start with a kind of a macro view uh, process. Uh, um, I mean, slightly deeper than a 30,000 foot. Um, I, I would love to spend the time to talk about this bar with that beer. That would be incredible. But um, for the sake of time, um, I, I'd love to get some general principles so that I and my listeners could then go out and find a good bean bar chocolate and a beer and start trying to put it together.
1: Sure. Yeah, well, um, one thing I will direct everyone to uh, is uh, my podcast, I have a couple pairing episodes in there. Episode four of my podcast that came out in the fall was sort of an in-depth look at pairing, so you can go and check that out on Uh But sort of in summary, one thing that I think is important, and some of this is going to be dependent on individual personality because not everybody likes to lean into an experience like this but i i really feel like chocolate and beer deserve our attention and they deserve our uh holistic attention if we're really going to get the most out of them so i like to make sure that the setting is right that there's some peaceful music on that i'm uh that i'm not trying to do something else in the middle of that and Do those things directly change how something tastes? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe somebody doesn't take that seriously, but for me, I think that's important. So I want to have restful music on, be in a setting um, where where I can focus on this and uh, really slow down and pay attention to both of these. Beyond that, I would recommend, um, and this is true for pretty much anything you're pairing, but limit the number of things that you're going to taste through. Uh, you know, palate fatigue is definitely a real thing, and you will get diminishing returns as you continue through these. So I like to do three to five uh, pairings at the most in a setting. Um, and then one thing that, that is, people generally don't think about and it's extremely important, uh, probably the single most important part of the process unique to beer and chocolate, is that you absolutely have to taste the chocolate first. And the reason for that is because of the need for the chocolate to melt in order to release its aromatics and really be able to taste it. Um, most good chocolate is intended to melt just barely below body temperature. So like 95, 96 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, the reason that, you know, you get supermarket chocolate and it'll get sticky on your fingers when you're holding it. Most bean-to-bar chocolate should not, under normal circumstances, it'll hold its integrity because it won't melt as as cold as your fingertips are. It'll have to get on your tongue to actually melt. Well, if you have beer in your mouth that has cooled your mouth down significantly and you've got this cold liquid, you're going to put that piece of chocolate in your mouth and it's just going to stay a piece of chocolate. It's not going to melt at all. So you've got to put the chocolate in your mouth first. Spend 30 to 45 seconds letting that melt. Make sure you've got the aromatics of that completely. Then introduce just a little bit of the beer, not a big gulp, but just a little, little sip of the beer and let those two things work together in order to get a true sense of the pairing. One thing you can even do if you're trying to dial that in and get that balance right is finish the piece of chocolate. It's still going to be coating a lot of your mouth. You're still going to have the flavors in there. Then take a sip of beer afterward and get those flavors together. And then you can kind of back that off a little bit And so you feel like you're getting the balance of those things. But with most other pairings, I like to emphasize the beer since that's the position I'm working from as a beer writer and educator. And so I'll have people smell their beer first and take a sip of their beer, and then we'll introduce the food. Uh, but with chocolate, it's incredibly important that you have the chocolate first so that it can melt, uh, and you can get those the, the full bouquet of aromatics from that uh, before you bring the beer in with that. You're gonna be looking at very small samples, so um, no more than an ounce or so of chocolate. Uh, an ounce of chocolate is uh, you, know, you know probably even less. I would probably say less than that, probably half an ounce of chocolate. Um, just a, a small piece, enough to let it melt on your mouth and get that flavor, and then and then add that chocolate in or add that beer in, um, and then you know, like like with any tasting process, it's just a, a mindfulness of uh, evaluating what the what the first things are that come to mind, what the memories are that come to mind, uh, and uh, trying to pick apart why those are. You know, front of mind for you as you're tasting that. I like to take notes um, and actually write those things down. And um, you know, once you've gotten that actual physical process right, the tasting process is pretty universal beyond that.
0: Um, and given all this, um, it, it well, it sounds like just like getting to know beer intimately, getting to know the styles intimately, getting to know the flavors intimately, to then understand how. Um, you know what flavors you want to reproduce or, or put together. It sounds like we really need to spend some time just tasting chocolate, which is a not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, no. <laughs> um, so, but th- that begs the question of. Um, how do we go to, and this is kind of a two-part question, I mean, one, how do we find bean-to-bar chocolate in in our local communities? We don't have um, that store that you have just, you know, in our neighborhood. Um, how mm-hmm. do we find these bean-to-bar chocolates? And, and if we have a difficulty finding that, how can we choose just a better bar of chocolate, whether it's uh, ethically produced or has just better flavor ingredients in a better grocery store?
1: Sure. Well, one of the beauties of chocolate is that it doesn't have alcohol in it, so we don't have any of the draconian distribution laws that that beer does. Which means that pretty much every bean-to-bar chocolate maker ships chocolate directly to customers from their websites. So even if you don't have a store near you, and there are actually more bean-to-bar focused stores out there than you might realize. So. Um, I know there's a great one in Salt Lake City, and there's a great one in, I believe, Portland. And, and most major cities probably have a few outlets that are selling really good chocolate. Uh, you can look at your more higher-end um you know Whole Foods and its knockoffs. You know the higher end grocery stores will often have a little bit of space devoted to those. Okay. Uh, so you can you can look at those, but uh, also you know any bean-to-bar chocolate maker is probably going to ship directly to you from their website. Um, there's likely incentive pricing on shipping, so if you order above a certain amount, shipping's cheaper or free. Um, and it, it, we don't have the problem with beer where where you live around the country is what beer you have access to because of distribution laws. And most, most states don't allow beer to be shipped uh, across state lines. Into, or into having my 10 year
0: old sign for the delivery that, that never exactly. goes over well.
1: Ohio here is better than most. We can ship within the state. Any brewery can ship uh, within the state um, directly to customers. But even that is, is just within the state. Mm. Um, but chocolate doesn't have that. So whether you have a store near you or not, you can get the chocolate, both from the makers and there are online stores that conglomerate, you know, a, a dozens of dozens of chocolate makers and will sell. So Bar & Cocoa, all spelled out, barandcocoa.com is one that I use that has, goodness, I don't even know, maybe a hundred bean-to-bar chocolate makers on there um, that will ship directly to customers. So even if you don't have a store near you, there are definitely um, options for, for getting uh, chocolate to your home. Beyond that, with selecting a grocery store, um, I I have a hard time recommending anything that is not verifiable from from an ethics standpoint. Um, Some of that, and this is something that is, um, that bears the potential for abuse. Price is a good indicator right now because the high price you really are paying largely for that verification that this this cacao has not come from from some seven-year-old who's working long days picking it for you Um, and that's a good indicator that this is a reliable uh a maker who is is not um employing uh ethics abuses along the supply chain um beyond that there are some indications that you can find on labels uh i I assume you do show notes. It's probably better for me to just send you sort of a a link to someone who has put together some of those. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, If you want to put that in your show notes rather than me walking through those now. But um, my best recommendation, if you don't have a maker near you that you want to support or a direct shop near you, go online. You know, chocolate can be shipped anywhere. And there are some, you know, every Bean to Bar chocolate maker is shipping and there are tons of great websites that, that ship from tons of chocolate makers all over the place.
0: And and I'm I'm just going to say right now I'm going to draw a little line in the sand and, and and just give a little call to action to anyone listening to this, uh, especially when this releases or we're well beyond. Um, I'm going to urge you, please uh, look into this. I had no idea that. Um, that chocolate had this uh, ethical issue going along with it. Of course, we'd all have all heard of blood diamonds and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that chocolate was those same things. And now, um, because of this conversation, I'm going to look at you know the chocolate that my kids get uh, in a completely different way. Um, and uh, I, I I just cannot look at a chocolate bar without imagining some uh, kid being forced to do this in some other country um yeah, yeah that's I didn't know really until two years ago
1: uh, it's just something that's uh, completely hidden uh, from from the public you know it was probably about uh, 15 to 20 years ago all the major international chocolate corporations signed on to an agreement that they were going to eliminate this by 2020 and I promise you they have they have not come anywhere close to doing that. Mm. Um, You know, they've, they've maybe, it's maybe reduced five to 10% in that time. And I would say, if anything, that is more due to the the rise of being the bar chocolate makers, taking some of that business rather than the major corporations actually doing anything about it. Um, And, you know, one of the the problems with this is when you look into this, you're going to see it's a lot more expensive to eat good chocolate. And that can start to feel like, well, why should I pay this? For good chocolate. And the, the the important mindset to look with that from, it might have to affect how much chocolate you purchase, obviously, uh, depending on budgets and things like that. But the important mindset is not these bean-to-bar chocolate makers are now charging so much more. It's that those major corporations never should have been charging as little as they were to begin with. They were only able to do that by the equivalent of sweatshop labor. I mean, that's not that's not directly applicable to how chocolate is produced, but that's what it is. You know, it is, it's is—it's that kind of labor abuse. So it's not bean-to-bar chocolate makers trying to gouge you. It is major chocolate corporations just not giving a shit. Who they have to step on along the way to sell you a one dollar
0: chocolate bar? And it's interesting. I, I have not done a podcast dedicated to the dirty politics of beer. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not entirely certain I want to, but we have uh, dipped our toes in it with different guests along the way. Um, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, the the tide houses in um, south africa and the uh, european uh, uh, beer consumer union um, the all of this stuff has kind of come up where you know we think we go out and we get this you know global mass produced beer at at a at $7 a six pack so why are these local craft brewers charging 10 12 15 a six pack that's outrageous Well, Mm -hmm. there's a concept called price undercutting, and Mm -hmm. that basically forces out all these smaller producers out of the market, so when you finally dominate the market, then you can charge whatever you damn well please. and, uh, mm. and if anyone listening to this cares about their freedom of choice, their freedom of ethics and and being good global neighbors and citizens, then this is something to really pay attention to and realize that this is for me, this is that so what um, thing that it, 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 you know, choose your beer, knowing and know exactly the impact it's going to have. It's not just a six pack. there's there's more to it than that. Same thing with chocolate I'm now learning. And so please. My listeners, please um, draw your line in the sand and decide uh, how you're going to move from here on out.
1: Yeah, well, if anybody wants just a great primer on everything we're talking about right now as it pertains to chocolate, from the ethics to how it's made to um, the tasting process and everything else, that book that I mentioned by Megan Gillard that is just called Bean to Bar Chocolate – that is your your absolute best source. It is sort of Randy Mosier's tasting beer, where it's just the introduction that you get when you're you're trying to learn more about beer for the first time, or at least it's the one that I recommend. The book by Megan Giller is a fantastic place to start.
0: And and I'm going to have all that stuff in the show notes. Anything you have to contribute to the show notes, David, please uh, send it my way. Sure. Um, uh, so kind of part of that same wind down process you've already gone through this process with me so I'm going to mend the questions a little bit Um, but uh, once again I get to wave my magic mash paddle and you get to be king of the beer and chocolate world for a day Um, last time you were king of the beer world you uh, limited the amount of IPAs that were available Um, uh, so that so that is that is done uh, your royal highness what are you going to change
1: in the beer and the chocolate world today What's really fun is that when you were giving that lead in, I honestly could not remember how I had answered that question last time. So I was kind of waiting with bated breath for what I had, what ruling I had given uh, the last time. Uh, On chocolate and beer, as they pertain to each other, I think the biggest thing I'd like to change is um, getting brewers who work with chocolate away from the idea that there is one thing that is chocolate. Because right now you'll see, on beer labels you know there's tons of chocolate beers especially with the popularity of pastry stouts right now you'll see um, made with uh, Tahitian vanilla and coffee from ABC coffee makers down the street and locally harvested raspberries and chocolate or (laughs) and cocoa and it won't say a damn thing about what they actually use because they don't care because it's just it's just an ingredient it's a bulk ingredient It's a default thing. Chocolate is one thing. And what I want to see, and it is starting to happen, is more and more of a recognition of cacao or whatever form of of the the product that's being used, whether it's cacao nibs or husks, or there's even a a, a few brewers working with cacao fruit itself and things like that, is a recognition of this um, similar to how coffee is looked at. You don't find a beer label that just says made with coffee. It's going to mention the local roaster they partnered with because the broader culture and and beer drinkers have recognized that good artisan coffee is a thing and so that's a valuable partnership to acknowledge that this local roaster is who we collaborated with my the next thing that i want to see and what i want to if i could control it what i would have change in a short order is a recognition from brewers and from beer drinkers that chocolate deserves that same respect. And so there is a more intentionality in how you source it. You're not just going with your bulk ingredient supplier and whatever they happen to have that it just is labeled cacao is what they're gonna send you. That you are looking into what cacao are you using maybe that's partnering with a specific bean-to-bar maker. Maybe that's a bulk supplier getting a little bit more on board with the importance of how they're sourcing that cacao and what the differences of origins are and things like that. And then more transparency from brewers for what that is that they're using. If they partnered with a chocolate maker, tell us who you partnered with. Where is it from? Is it from Ghana? Is it from Bolivia? Is it from Madagascar? Is it from Sri Lanka? What cacao did you use? What form did you use it in? And uh, uh, not only does that expand the understanding that there is, there are hundreds and and hundreds of things that are chocolate. There's not just this one default abstract flavor that is chocolate, um, but also that it's a it's an ingredient that is respect that has an origin that has a source to it. Um, that's also better marketing, that's a better story to tell. Just like with those coffee roasters, there's a reason that a brewer puts the name of the roaster and very likely, not every time, but very likely, the specific origin of the coffee that was used because that's, that's a marketing tool, that's an additional story that you can tell. Well, that's the same thing with chocolate, that's an available story that can be told. That's marketing. If you don't want to look at it for any more reason than that, it's a tool to be used in, in selling this beer. So I want to see more awareness from brewers and from drinkers that chocolate is not one abstract thing, that it is a many varied thing from many different places in the world with specific makers who process it and uh, more visibility and transparency um, to the consumer of where that's actually coming from. Um, you wouldn't believe how often I have to chase down brewers when they've said they've used cacao to find out, well, what did you use? Who? Who's do, cacao? Do they even know? Where's, uh, sometimes no. Sometimes no. Sometimes they don't want to share it. It's, uh, that's not always a bad reason. If you just want to, for your own reasons, you don't want to share the source of your ingredient, I, okay. But I'm suspicious of that. But, um, yeah, there's times they don't know, or it's just, oh, uh, we just called our, our ingredient supplier, you know, BSG, whoever it is, and, and told them to send us some cacao.
0: Hmm.
1: So, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, like the beer it. might be good. It, that doesn't mean it's bad. But let's just put more intention in See, this has one more tool in your toolbox, and it's a, it's a toolbox that has a whole lot of stuff in it. There's a whole lot of options uh, there for what you can do with that.
0: And that sounds like an extension of the uh, I want a beer-flavored beer mentality.
1: Mm-hmm. It is. That's exactly what it is.
0: Is is there a chocolate version of a sommelier or cicerone
1: at this point? Nothing, nothing with a name to it. Um, there is a – I think there's a couple places that are certifying chocolate tasters, but it, it, it's nothing that has quite the same cachet. Um, chocolate is a pretty small world right now in terms of being to bar and there's a few hundred makers whereas you have 8,000 brewers in the US you know there's it's a fairly small world and so um, it, while it has room for growth it's really kind of fun the egalitarianism that exists within it right now um, of everybody kind of has access to, to everybody else you can talk to makers you can um, you can talk to the handful of chocolate journalists or, or, or professional chocolate tasters that are out there. and um, It doesn't quite have that internal infrastructure yet that beer has built into it. Um, it might get there. I, I hope the industry grows to the point that it does. But it's fun right now that it has more of a, a grassroots egalitarianism about it. Well, it sounds like you are poised
0: to be a uh, chocolate writer and somewhat of a chocolate expert uh,
1: chocolate writer I, I'm gonna I, I did mean what I said earlier I, I wasn't being falsely humble I really am at the beginning of my chocolate journey in terms of knowledge um, I am acquiring that but I would there are plenty of, of chocolate friends that I have you know just on on social media who are far more seasoned tasters than I am I mean I mean Conscious taster in general, and that comes from my work to become that as a beer taster. Um, but I have so much to learn uh, in chocolate, and i'm I'm excited to. I'm excited to do that and I'm allowing myself the time to do that at a pace that is enjoyable and in a way that's enjoyable.
0: Well, but I can only imagine what it'd be like to go back in time and become a beer writer and a beer podcaster in the 80s and early 90s and yes. and, and what that would be. It, it, You kind of have this opportunity to go back, kind of sort of go back in time and, and follow this chocolate path as it uh, emerges to something bigger. That's that's exciting, I'm, I'm excited for you. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm enjoying it, and I'm excited for what's ahead.
0: Yeah, uh, this podcast will be proof that uh, I'm a, one of the ones that knew you first. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, you have one day left on this earth. What's your What's your beer and chocolate of choice?
1: Oh, wow. Am I pairing these? Is this specifically a pairing that I'm enjoying? Completely up to you. Okay. You know what? I'm going I'm to go for a pairing, and I'm just going to go for the first one that I have in mind. I'm not going to overthink this. I had... Back uh, in the fall, I paired a chocolate from Seventh Sun Brewing in Columbus, Or I'm sorry, a beer from Seventh Sun Brewing in in Columbus called Kahwa, uh, which is the Arabic word for coffee, and it was basically an imperial stout with coffee and some spices. It was intended to taste sort of like a Arabic or Turkish coffee, Mm -hmm. so it had cardamom and a few other things in it. It was a really fascinating presentation of um, of the coffee because so often you throw a coffee into a stout and it tastes really good, but it, you sort of know what you're getting. And this was a, 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 a recognition of the familiarity of that, but with a, a, a whole new uh, twist to it that I really enjoyed. And I paired that with a uh, chocolate from Violet Sky chocolate in, um, in Indiana, I think they're out of South Bend. Um, and it was a maple and vanilla um, dark chocolate made with guatemalan cacao guatemalan cacao is fairly acidic um, so it has these really bright like berry notes and a bit of acidity to the finish um, and it had uh, local indiana maple sugar and i cannot remember the origin of the vanilla that was in there but in combination between the two of those you've got Uh, the acidity of the cacao pulling out some of the underlying acidity of the coffee to give it more of a fresh, like espresso character. Um, And then the coffee and the maple and vanilla together was like a, like a very recognizable breakfast combination. It made me think of like, um, uh, like a campfire breakfast where you're having like flapjacks off the griddle and uh, you know, your coffee and, um, uh, there, there's no actual smoked ingredients in either one, but like the spice profile gave it just that little bit of a hint of like a smokiness to it. And, uh, it was, it was both nostalgic and completely new and exploratory at the same time. And I just absolutely loved the combination together. So without overthinking it any further than that, I think I would go ahead and take the two of those for my last day.
0: That sounds like a, a, a good way to go. Um, uh, and we again, we've talked about this before, but um, you kind of want to see if if your perspective has changed a little bit. Um, why does good beer, or in this case also, why does good chocolate matter so much?
1: Once again, I can't remember exactly what my answer was before, so I can't try to match it through that. Um, I'd, I'd rather you come you know, up with something I, different. Yeah, who knows? Um, I think... And I mean, this is true at any time, but I think right now in 2020, well, 2021, but in the wake of 2020, um, life is short. I think there's an awareness that we have a, a limited amount of time to enjoy the things that we get to enjoy. And I think, I, I can't think of a reason why I would waste that time on bad beer and bad chocolate. Um, I, I've got a limited amount of time to enjoy those things. And one of the things that I enjoy about them so much is and this is what I this is really the entire purpose of my podcast and what I explore in there is that good beer and good chocolate, good anything, this could include other things. I've chosen beer and chocolate. These are lenses. They're they're lenses or windows into a deeper experience of life and a a deeper awareness of our senses. And they connect Not only to all of our senses, but to our memories, our emotions, our imaginations, um, even our identities. Uh, That's The lead into my podcast is taking those things off, that um, all of those are connected to this, Um, to the experiences we've had, to the places we've lived, to the things we've tasted in the past. And every single time that in a mindful way I'm able to sit down and taste beer or chocolate or the two of them together... I'm able to kind of open up the box that contains all those different parts of who I am and who I've been. Um, and the best beers and the best chocolates do that in ways that nothing else does. Uh, you mentioned earlier, um, maybe it was when we were talking before this started, I don't remember, we, uh, the, the last episode of my podcast at the end of December was with my sister and we were talking about how uh, tasting things with other people is... Sort of, she described it as where the veil is thin between us. It's something that we, can, we can't we can feel what somebody else is feeling or think what somebody else is thinking, but when we taste the same things together at the same time, we can know that we are having the same experience they're having. It allows us to be vulnerable. It allows us to be open to another person's perceptions uh, and to be open with our own and to tell our stories and to hear their stories. Um So I would say the good beer and good chocolate matter because life is short. And within that relatively short life, uh, we have the availability through our senses to experience so many things uh, that have happened before, so many memories, so many emotions, and experience or at least receive those same things from somebody else as they're tasting those with us. So that's why I think those matter and why I continue to believe that this is a worthwhile pursuit, um, to spend to spend a life uh, writing about, uh, but also exploring flavor experiences through beer and chocolate,
0: and that's why I think I uh, I think I was listening to your podcast one day when the. When the the term popped in my head of flavor poet, so I'm going to apply that to you. You are a flavor poet um, because you, the way you experience things, the way you describe things, um, and the story that you tell is very thoughtful and 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 deep and concise. Um, um, so, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to call it now. You're the world's first flavor poet. Uh, and,
1: and, you're, I don't know if I'm the first, but I do appreciate that. Well,
0: you're the first that I'm aware of. So therefore <laughs> in my room, um, but your, your podcast is the bean to barstool podcast. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and I wasn't aware, but you have a website to that effect as well. Um, where can people yes. go to connect with you and the podcast?
1: Sure. Beantobarstool.com all spelled out um is the, the home base for that and you can listen right on the website. Bean to bar stool is also on all the major podcast platforms. So you know Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all the all the major ones it's on there. Um, you can follow me on social media. I'm at Bean to Barstool um, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Instagram is uh, by far the most active. Twitter right now, I haven't really done a whole lot with uh, Bean to Barstool yet. That's just sort of a placeholder for now. Uh, But you can at least get new information, uh, new episodes on there. Um, Facebook in 2021, I'm going to be using the Bean to Barstool Facebook account more as a um, sort of a news repository for like new chocolate beers or new new beers that incorporate, um, new chocolates that incorporate beers and things like that. Um, Instagram is, is very, very active daily with, uh, new, new beers and new chocolates and, and stuff relative to each episode. You can also contact me at being to barstool at gmail.com. Um, yeah, once again, bean to barstool.com is the main home base for
0: everything there. Great. Uh, and last question, do you have any final words of wisdom or any calls
1: to action for anyone listening to this? I would uh, just encourage everyone once again, don't be terrified at the price when you look at the cost of being to bar chocolate bars. Um, there's a reason behind it. They're not gouging you. It's not premiumization for premiumization's sake. Uh, there is an ethical consideration behind that, so take that into account. And also take in mind that where you might buy a Snickers bar at the checkout line and eat it on the way home or while you're driving home, our chocolate is much more of a thoughtful experience. Think about a three-ounce bar of chocolate the way you might think of picking up um, a half a pound of a really, really good cheese that you've spent $15 on. You're not just going to plow through that thing. You're going to sit down in a thoughtful way and eat pieces of that cheese paired with your favorite beer or your favorite wine or whatever it is. Or you're going to parcel that out among friends and do it that way. Think about that chocolate bar in the same way. This isn't something you're going to plow through on the way home from the grocery store. This is multiple tasting experiences you're going to have with that one bar in a thoughtful way, whether that's with other people or by yourself. Uh, and and think about that that sort of mindset shift when you're looking at the cost of a chocolate bar that is $8 or $10 or $12.
0: David, thank you once again for coming on the podcast. I absolutely love this conversation. Um, God forbid, one of these days we will have a beer in person, and hopefully
1: you'll bring. Yeah. You'll,
0: hopefully you'll bring a, a bunch of uh, chocolate to share. I would love to do that.
1: One of these days. All right. Take care. Yeah. You too. Talk to you soon, Jeremy.
0: The world of fermentation and flavor is a vast landscape filled with, among other products, beer and chocolate. It serves as a backdrop for a story about craft and culture, perfect pairings, and the tension between humanity and profits. Every choice we make writes the next chapter. How the story ends is up to us. In the next episode, we talk to the experts to learn how to look at beer sales and crunch the numbers to make smarter business decisions. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together, but it's also about better beer education so you can level up your game. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters podcast and go to goodbeermatters.net for more resources and next steps. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.